We invite you this morning to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Just go ahead and bookmark it. We're going to be in Ephesians for a while, all right? Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Hope you had a safe and enjoyable holiday week. Uh, it kind of seems like the, the, the decline after the, the height of Christmas and New Year and all of the things that go on there. Um, it seems like sometimes we wind up a little bit tired this time of year and this time of day. And so uh, recognize that. Um, I've seen on social media a number of places, and I appreciate and understand the messaging behind these. Uh, I mentioned this to our 522 group this morning. Um, kind of the encouragement that comes out and says, this is, this is day one of a whole new book. Make sure you write uh, a good book. Make sure you write a good story for your life. And while I understand the, uh, the sentiments behind that, I understand the encouragement behind that, uh, let me encourage us that we have the book, and let's not worry about us writing our own story. Let's live the one that God has already written for us. So let me encourage you to spend time and commit now uh, to spend time in the Word this year. Uh, read through the New Testament. Read through the whole Bible. There's a number of different reading plans that, uh, that you can follow, that you can uh, engage in. They're on Bible apps. You can find them online. Sometimes our study Bibles and those things happen as well. But let me encourage you to spend uh, this year with a renewed commitment to spending time in the, in the Word, spending time with the Lord as He uh, as He's revealed Himself in the pages of the Bible. This morning, we're closing up a series about who is this God we worship. And I'm closing it up with a message entitled, Who is it that worships this God? Who is it that worships this God? If you found Ephesians chapter 1, let me invite you to stand as we read the first two verses together. <clears throat> then we'll get into this a little bit this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us to be saints in your church. You have called us to worship you. You have revealed to us who you are. And so this morning as we both recognize the glory and the beauty of your majesty and we recognize that you have called us to worship, at the same time we begin to introduce this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church, I would pray that you would open up our hearts and you would begin to conform us to the image of your Son, that we would look more and more like you, that we can worship you more and more the way you have called us to worship you. Walk with us this morning. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, as I said, I'm closing up this series that we actually started all the way back in October, looking at the doctrinal truths, the theological truths of who this God is that we worship. We've talked about Him being Trinity, that He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Eternally present, eternally God, completely, fully, entirely God in three persons. We looked at God as our Father, we looked at God as our King, we recognized God in His sovereignty. 
We spent several weeks talking about Jesus, that He is fully God, complete, totally, always has been, always will be, and fully human, fully man when He put on flesh. We found that in the blamelessness of His humanity, that led to the perfection of His sacrifice and His resurrection as our Savior and our Redeemer. We discovered that He is not only the prophet who declares the word of the Lord, but He is ultimately the revelation of God Himself. He is the Word incarnate. He is the Word of God in flesh. Not only is He the priest who makes the sacrifice on behalf of us before the righteousness of God, but He is the sacrifice who presented Himself as the atonement for our sin. We also learn that not only is He the King who reigns in God's authority, but that all authority has been given to Him and He reigns as King of kings and as Lord of lords. The last two weeks we have looked at the person of the Holy Spirit, understanding that He is the third person of the Trinity, proceeding from the Father, proceeding from the Son to redeem and sanctify and secure God's people until the day of redemption. And furthermore, He is the indwelling power and presence of God who fills us every day of our lives, throughout our lives, to walk with Him in submission to His will. We've talked a lot about God over these past weeks. And this morning, as we both end this series and really begin a new one, I want to introduce to us Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And I want us to begin to understand this morning not only who this God is, that we worship, but who it is that worships this God. Put plain and simple, if you will, my thesis is this. God's church is called ultimately above everything else. We are called to worship Him for His glory. Who is it that worships God? It is His church. It is those that He has called and redeemed. This is the point that Paul makes in this short letter to the church at Ephesus. He opens again with these words. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Let me ask you to meditate on that phrase. That's where I'll be preaching from next week. To the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to dig much deeper into these, and we're going to dig much deeper into many of the passages here. But for today, for this week, I want to introduce us to this idea of who this is that worships this God. And I want us to see from several different sections of this book that God calls His church... To worship, He calls us. Secondly, I want us to see that He unifies His church to worship Him. And lastly, I want us to see that it is that it is God in Christ through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who builds His church to worship Him. He calls, He unifies, and He builds. We're going to preview a few main themes 
this morning in this book. We're going to be looking at high-level introductions of these, and we'll be digging into them over the next few weeks. But I do want to return this morning to the Nicene Creed, this ancient statement of faith that we have been looking at several times over the last few months. We know that the statement of faith, this Nicene Creed, speaks of the doctrine of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I don't want us to fail to recognize and neglect to recognize that these church fathers, these fathers here in the fourth century of this area, of this era, included a foundational statement of faith regarding the church. The closing stanza of the Nicene Creed reads this way. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. We believe in one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. Let me parse this out just for a minute. That first phrase, we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. These church fathers, fathers help us recognize there is one church. Yes, there are many local bodies that represent that church, that are visible manifestations of that church. But there is one church. And we are called in that church to be holy, not holier than everyone else, but holy even as God is holy. We are called to be a universal body, a Catholic body in our cooperation with the body of Christ. And we are called to be apostolic in our authority as we read, study, preach, teach, and obey the Word of God that was handed down through the apostles. Secondly, this creed affirms one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Here, baptism is not necessarily speaking of the mode or the method, but of one source of identifying with Christ by being crucified with Him in our sin and then raising with Him from the dead to walk in a newness of life. This is our testimony, our public acknowledgement of having repented and believed in Jesus Christ. The last phrase reads, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life and the world to come. Amen. Our hope, these fathers are reminding us, our hope is not in this world. When the church fathers crafted this creed, the church had just come through a century or more of severe, severe persecution. They wanted to remind us that we ground our hope. They grounded their hope and we ground our hope not in this world. Not in what this world has to offer. Not in the praise or even condemnation of this world. But we ground our hope in what Christ has promised. In the eternal resurrection and life with Him in heaven. That's where the fathers of the church, the early church, wanted to drive us to. Because God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. There is one church. We come together in one baptism in the name of Jesus. And we have one hope. 
resurrection. So what does that have to do this morning with the God we worship and how we are to worship Him? I want us to take a look at an introduction to Paul's words here in the Ephesians. And the first thing, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that God calls His church to worship. God calls His church to worship. One of the most difficult doctrines for us to understand is God's sovereign working from eternity to eternity for our salvation through election and predestination. We try to explain it. We try to understand it. Sometimes we seek to modify or even explain it away so that our wills and our decisions and our consciousness can be exaggerated or be highlighted. Nevertheless, the truth of the matter is that God, from all of eternity, has called His church. You've still got Ephesians 1 open up. Begin reading with me in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The Apostle Peter affirms this teaching, this doctrine, when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to dig into these verses in the coming weeks. We're going to look at them with a great deal more depth. But here's what I need us to understand this morning. Here's what I need us to see this morning. God, this God we worship, this God who is Trinity, who is holy, who is just, who is righteous and sovereign, this God who is Father and King, who is Son and Spirit, this God from before the foundation of the world, before God said, let there be light, God said, you, church, are mine. I have called you. I have loved you. I have chosen you. I have predestined you to be my people and me to be your God. That call is secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Peter wrote, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Church, we are called above everything else to worship God. We are chosen to worship this God. This God's eternal purpose is for our worship of Him. It's to raise up a people for the display of His glorious beauty and majesty. God has called His church to worship Him. 
I know this is difficult for us to comprehend. And I know this is especially difficult for us to comprehend this morning if you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you see, we are responsible to respond to God's call. We are responsible. Paul will actually say this later in this same sentence. Later in this chapter, we are responsible to respond to Him with repentance and faith. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and convinces us of God's glorious grace, His glorious mercy. And He is even the one who causes us to be born again in Christ. We are called to be obedient, to surrender to the beautiful authority of Christ, and to worship God in spirit and in truth. I know this is hard for many of us to comprehend, but beloved, this is what we have been called to do. Returning to Paul's words in Ephesians 1 verse 7 and following, he says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. This God, we worship, is the God who calls His church to gather for the praise of His glory, to exalt His Son as Savior and King. And to be filled in the security of His Holy Spirit. In Him, Paul says later, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His will. So that we who were, were, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He has called us, He has secured us, He has filled us from eternity to eternity to worship Him. Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But as it is, God assigned, arranged the members in the body each one, each one of them as He chose. Here's the way I paraphrase that verse. You're here because God has brought you here. God has put you here. I'm not trying to be arrogant or mean or hateful, but God put you here in this church, in this church, by His choosing. It doesn't matter how you got here doesn't matter if you were born into this church, if you joined in its founding, or if you just wandered in off the street today. God is the one who puts you here, puts us here. Why? To worship Him and to serve Him. This God we worship is the God who chose and calls His church. The second thing I want us to see this morning from the book of Ephesians is that God unifies 
God unifies his church for worship. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul declares the, the default state of mankind, of all of humanity. Those first three verses he reminds us. Now, we may think that humanity is sick. We may think that we are broken. We may think that we're immoral. We may think that we just need remodeling or recovering or healing. But Paul declares that we are not sick. But rather, we are dead. And not only are we dead in our trespasses and sin, but we are worshipers of the enemy. We are worshipers of Satan, the deceiver, who Paul calls in this passage the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He said, we live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children under God's eternal wrath. We were from the fall of man in Genesis 3. We were separated from God, dead in our trespasses and sin. And then come what I think are the most beautiful words recorded in maybe all of literature. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Beloved, in Christ, we are unified with God. We who were dead in our trespasses, separated as far as eternity is from eternity, from this God who created us in Christ. He has unified us with our Creator. But He didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He not only unified us with God in Christ, but in Christ He unified us with one another. Later in this same chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues to write, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing walls of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that He might create in Himself one 
new man in place of the two, and so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul specifically in this passage speaking is speaking about the law of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And he's reminding them that in Christ's death, in his resurrection, that wall of separation has been destroyed. And we no longer have Jews and Gentiles. We have those who are in Christ. Today, we certainly have many places of application. Because if we've learned how to do anything in our nation and in our culture today, it's we've learned how to divide ourselves. We've got walls of separation that are continually going up. And what Paul says here is that in Christ, they have all been broken down. Walls of race, walls of nationality, walls of language, walls of ethnicity, dividing walls of our past, our sins, our pains, our sufferings, our losses. Paul says all of them are crumbled down. They are all broken. And we are united in Christ. We are one in Christ. Our union is that we are followers of Jesus. It's not our nationality. It's not our pride. It's not our political views. It's not our identity as victims or so many other things that we want to create as markers. We are united in Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, not only for the church that he was looking at, not only for the apostles who had been following him, but he prayed for you and me. He prayed for us almost by name. When he says, I do not ask for these only, those are the apostles, but also for those, you and me, who will believe in me through their word. What does he pray? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This God we worship calls us to worship Him and He unifies us to worship Him. If this is true, and I have to wonder why it is that so many Christians and so many churches are marked by so much anger, so much division, so much strife, so much bitterness, so much arrogance. Even vile hatred <coughs> towards the world, but especially towards others towards other brothers and sisters who name the name of Christ and walk with them in faith. I don't believe that's the case this morning. I, I just ask us, I ask us to examine our hearts. Maybe we need to look around our congregation. We know those who aren't here this morning. Maybe to just look around and say, is there anything that I have something against one of my brothers and sisters in this church? Is there some unresolved, some anger, some 
something that's creating this dividing wall. And you know what? If you look around and you say, you know what? I really don't have it all against anybody in this church. I still have to ask us to take it one step farther and say, how well do we know each other? How well do we know each other in Christ? Do we know each other's hearts? Do we know each other's hurts? Do we know each other's pains? Do we know each other's fears and joys and celebrations? Jesus says that they would be one. Father, even as you and I are one. This greater Christian community, and I put that in quotes, is destroying itself in this world. Twitter and other social media outlets, to be honest with you, it's hard even it's hard even to see and read and recognize some of the hate that is spewed by some who call themselves Christians towards others who call themselves Christians because our doctrine or our beliefs or something along those lines don't align. Now please don't hear me to say that doctrine doesn't matter or that doctrine isn't important. It most certainly is important. It is of utmost importance. And while we are called to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude says in verse 3, we are also called to speak the truth in love. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Somewhere we have lost the love aspect. And though our words oftentimes will align with truth, they still come out as false and hypocritical when our hearts are filled with anger and resentment. God calls us to unity. He calls us to unity in Christ. Unity in the gospel. Unity in the gospel of His death and His resurrection. Unity in the worship of Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. The worship of God as our all-glorious Father and even the worship of the Holy Spirit as our eternal sustainer and sanctifier. God calls us to worship Him. And God unifies us to worship Him. Lastly this morning, I want us to see that God builds us. He builds His church to worship Him. You may be familiar with Matthew 16. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul affirms his teaching in Ephesians chapter 4. When he says he, Jesus, gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Listen, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunnings, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God is building his church. The Apostle Jude writes, it is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. God calls His church to worship Him. God unifies His church to worship Him. And God builds His church to worship Him. And that work is not yet finished. God is still building. I know we're making some very difficult decisions in our church family right now. And some of those decisions almost seem like the opposite of building. They almost seem like we are tearing things down. It almost seems like we are going backwards. And instead of building larger, we are getting smaller. Sometimes, sometimes that's exactly how God builds. I've seen several reports recently that church attendance across our nation is in a rapid, rapid decline. Those who adhere to the Christian faith is growing smaller and smaller and smaller across the nation. I think the numbers I saw just a few days ago was somewhere around 63% of the U.S. population now identifies as Christianity in some manner. Just 10, 15, 20 years ago, that number was 75%. This certainly is cause for great concern. And it should lead us to our knees for beg, to beg for mercy for a lost people who need to know Jesus but are rejecting God and rejecting His Son. But I also have to wonder, I also have to wonder if the church is really shrinking or is God purging us from our former Christian comforts and cultural acceptance? Maybe, just maybe, God is building not a larger church, but a stronger church. Not strong so that we can overthrow the wickedness and debauchery of the world or politics or something along those lines. But maybe God is building a stronger church to stand in the gap, to endure suffering, to endure persecution. As our faith and love for God, we worship is tested and, and tried. Paul commands us in Ephesians chapter 4 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in true holy, holiness. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, be, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. This God we worship is building His church. 
And it may not be that he's building it bigger, but he's building it stronger. Maybe he's rebuilding his church. Friends, I think that's exactly what he's doing right here. Just for us. He is building us stronger. We may have to make some very, very difficult decisions. We may have to sell this building. We may have to change our name. We may have to reconstitute and reestablish our organization. We may have to start from the ground up and rebirth, renew, revitalize our church. We, have to, we may have to meet for a time in somebody's basement or garage or barn. We'll probably lose some people as our attendance and our giving might actually go down. You will probably get up on some Sunday morning in the near future and ask yourself, what am I doing all this for? What am I doing all this for? What difference does it make? Why can't I just go to a normal church? But beloved, I am 100% convinced, 100% convinced that God is calling, that God is unifying, and that God is building His church in this place. It will take time. We will have to overcome fear. We will have to overcome uncertainty. We will be counted as failures by others, those outside the world. We may suffer especially from those who are outside the church or outside the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, who do not and will not ever understand the decisions that we may have to make. And so I ask us to exercise Paul's exhortation in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he tells this young preacher, I charge you in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, who judges the living and the dead by His appearing. He says, I charge you to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. To reprove, to rebuke, rebuke, to exhort with complete patience and teaching. I was reading this week from a book and it talked about patience. We all know patience, don't we? We all want it right now. The author referred to this passage. Preach the word with patience. This is the God we worship. This is God the Father. This is God the Son. This is God the Holy Spirit. This is the Sovereign King and Father. This is the fully God, fully human, prophet, priest, and King who was crucified for our sins and raised for our redemption. This is the Holy Spirit of God saving and sanctifying a people for His own purpose, for His own pleasure, that we might worship in holiness, the holiness of God. Beloved, this is the God we worship. He calls His church. He unifies His church. And He builds His church. As we close this morning, let me invite, I'm going to read from Psalm 84 this morning. Let me invite us to allow these words to just penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds. 
Let me invite you if you'd like to come as we begin a new year and spend some time with the Lord in prayer as we hear His Word read. You want to gather around the altar or pray right where you're at? Come together as a family or come together as all of us and just spend a few minutes allowing the Word to guide us in prayer. To call us to worship Him. To unify us with one another. And to build us into His body. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself. For she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Father, this morning as we begin this week, as we begin this month, as we begin this year, as we begin this journey, We beg you, we beseech you, we fall before you in humble surrender, asking you to call us to worship you in spirit and in truth, to unify our hearts and minds, not so much to the place where there's no animosity, but to the place where we are one as you are with your son. asking you to build us into your body where we will preach the word in every season. We will do that with patience. And Father, our heart's desire, our longing would be to gather together as your church, as your body to worship you in spirit and in truth because one day in your house is better than a thousand better than a million, better than ever in the house of the wicked. And we would rather open the door of your temple than dwell in the highest honor this world has to offer. 
so I pray, Father, that you would unify our hearts. You would strengthen our resolve to walk with you and know you. That you would encourage us as we face decisions that are very difficult. We know that many will not understand those decisions. The world will not understand those decisions. But Father, we pray that you would keep us grounded in your word. That what we do is to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Redeemer. That you would fill us with your spirit and that we would be empowered to be your witnesses. Bardstown and Nelson County and Central Kentucky around our state and around the world. And that you would call us and you would build us and you would unify us for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. Father, for the one here that may be in this building this morning or listening to us online or somewhere else, as they are confronted with the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, I would pray that you would call them to a place of repentance, a place of faith, that you would equip your church to disciple them that together we can walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We trust you, Father. We love you, Father. We desire to stay in the center of your will. Guide us this morning, this week, and this year in every decision. For your name's sake, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I do have just a couple of announcements I want to make. And we got ushers.